Well, good morning. It's good, to, great to see you. Wasn't it some great rain yesterday, man? We were we were just blessed. Uh, and congratulations to our students, man. That's that's an honor, man, to win uh, win an award like that. But uh, I want to just draw attention to a couple of things while they're finishing receiving the offering. First of all, uh, Roger J is in the house, man. Roger, I love you. Roger and Donna. Roger has been going through, uh, you know, like others in our congregation have been going through some treatments for uh, with chemo and stuff, and his immune system is good enough to be back with us, and God is on his throne. So bless you, Roger. Glad you're here. Um, and then up here at the front, uh, Tim and Tanya Vanell and their, and their family. Uh, Tim is my personal pilot, but even though I've never flown with him, uh, Tim, Tim serves with the MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, that many of you have heard about, and Tim and Tanya have been connected friends for a long time. And look at, your family's grown up. Good night. We started with no kids. Did you really? Yeah, and look at you now. Man, it's a great. So welcome, welcome, uh, Tim and Tanya. I think y'all were in some of the Bible fellowships today or whatever, but uh, if you've never met Tim and Tanya, it's it's good to get to meet. I, I think what you do, man, uh, is the last of the cowboy breed, man. I mean, you, you land planes on the side of mountains and stuff like that. That's really cool. And so, but that's the Vanels, and so they're, they're uh, good to meet. Hey, tonight at midnight is our next day of unceasing prayer, part of the unceasing prayer movement that's going on in the whole Austin area. And so Central, we take our spot on the wall tonight at midnight, so make sure you have your place. You should have gotten an email um, for your, um, from Bob Schwader about your, what we're praying specifically for for tomorrow. So uh, I just encourage you about that as well. Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures or your device, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And uh, Alan did a great job last week about getting us through the battle of Ai, which was a, a great word. And let me, let me say something right quick. Uh, uh, I was able to be at early service last week and I wasn't here at, at late service. Let me tell you kind of what I do during those times when Brett and Alan preach. Not that I have to defend what I'm, what I'm about to say, but it's so that you know, so that you can pray a little bit. Because of what God has allowed me to do in this community, uh, and we have such good communicators like Brett and Alan, what, what it allows me to do is I go to different congregations in our community, and I just go there, and they give me about five minutes, and what I do is I bless and encourage that pastor because, listen, between 1,400 and 1,700 people step out of the ministry every month. Those are the statistics. And let me tell you, some retire, some have medical reasons, but the number one reason is discouragement. And so God really put it on my heart. I talked to the elders about it. They said, go for it. And, uh, and so what it allows me to do, and so last Sunday and a, and a few weeks before I was at another congregation, I'm just able to go to those congregations and just bless them and encourage them and pray over their leadership. And, and so that's what I do. So it's not that I'm not here. I was here for early service, but I'm, I'm here with you. I don't need to defend myself, but uh, that's where I'm at. I just want you to know I'm not loafing is, uh, is what's going on. But uh, you've got a copy of the scriptures. Let me, and Alan did a great job last week getting us through AI. And today we're headed into the next part of the journey in Joshua chapter 9. But uh, let me, let me kind of give you a thought as we go into uh, to today is, uh, is this. You know, in, in the wars that we have been involved in here recently, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, one of the things that has 
has happened is that uh, you talk to some of our, our soldiers, especially in Afghanistan, and there's something known as insurgents. You know, we originally went in because of the 9-11 and the Taliban and this kind of stuff. But then there, there's uh, what, what came to fruition is this thing called insurgents. Insurgents would be guys just with a burr under their saddle, and they take up weapons. And, and in other words, you don't know if they're enemy or their friend or whatever. And some of our, our soldiers, you talk to them, and they say, man, we don't know who is, who is going to pick up a gun and shoot us, who is our enemy, and who is on our side here. It's just confusing as to what's going on. And what happens is, is somebody may come in, and you think they're a friend, but they turn out to be an enemy as they come into what's going on. And it's going to deter whatever you're doing. Today in Joshua, we're looking at something very similar to this. I, I, I read something in nature that was kind of interesting. There is a butterfly called the big blue butterfly. And, and literally, that's what it's called. And, and you're thinking, man, they ran out of names, didn't they? Adam and Eve in the garden just finally said, man, big blue butterfly. Let's just call it that. But that's what it was called, the big blue butterfly. In England, they were, uh, used to be pretty prevalent. But what, this is the interesting thing about it. When they would uh, um, have their larva or whatever that, uh, you know, it's it, going to become a caterpillar, that what happens is is this little butterfly larva would put off this scent, and there's a particular kind of ant that would be attracted to that, that uh, the scent that put off from this larva. And so what they would do is they would actually take it into its ant bed. And what would happen is, is that as that larva, that caterpillar began to grow, they would still be addicted to that, uh, the scent and the, what's put off from this nectar, whatever, from this larva. But all the time, this, this uh, larva is growing into a caterpillar, and he begins to eat the ants that are in there. So in other words, these ants take their very enemy into their bed, and it ends up uh, uh, cre- creating all kind of devastation. You can look at it. I, I, I thought, man, that's a preacher story until I investigated it. It's true. It's what happens. And uh, sometimes we have to be incredibly careful that we don't invite the enemy because he comes as an angel of light, masquerading or whatever, that we don't invite him right in. And we see all of a sudden our walk with Christ get totally destroyed. Um, at the end of chapter 8, we had the battle of Ai, and then right after that battle, the children of Israel do this incredible thing. They stand on these two mountains, and they renew their covenant with God. They call out the blessings and the curses, the blessings if you keep the covenant, the curses if you don't, and they have this incredible um, rededication to the covenant with God. It's a, an incredible, beautiful picture. But then we pick it up in, in Joshua chapter 9 here. So just keep your Bibles open. I'll read a little bit and stop and kind of unpack what, what I believe God is saying to us here. It says this in nine one. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, and these things being that they defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai, they crossed the Jordan River, all these kind of things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Mosquitoites, all of them there, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. Let me stop there just a moment. I'm going to put things on the, on the board just so that you see them. But the first thing is this, and you can write this down. A time of spiritual renewal will become a time of testing. A time of spiritual renewal will become a time of testing. The children of Israel have just renewed their covenant with God. 
man, it is a revival kind of time. You may remember a few weeks ago I said that what concerns me about our students coming back from camp that we prayed for them at camp, but when they come back, they've made commitments to God. They have made these renewals with God. Their hearts have been stirred towards God. And it's at that time when you see the testing come, maybe like no other time. And so we need to pray that they are able to stand strong. And let me just say this is a warning. I think the scriptures are full of it. There comes these times when we say, God, I just want to renew my faith in you, renew my commitment to you, God. You know, rededicate myself to you, whatever you want to call it, Lord, just to come and and fall deeper in love with Jesus. And we make these commitments and and we're sincere about them and we're, we're standing on them. And then all of a sudden, man, it's like we've just put a target on ourselves. And here comes the hit. Here comes the hit. And see if we're going to hold to that covenant that we have just made. And you know as well as I do, if the Holy Spirit's not involved strengthening us, we don't have a chance. But this is where you put a target on yourself when you say that. So a time of spiritual renewal can be, be, become very quickly a time of testing. You remember, let me give you a case in point. You remember Jesus, and he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. It was called the Mount of Transfiguration. And while they're there... It was a vision or, or whatever it was. Jesus is meeting with Elijah and Moses and Peter, James, and John see it. And Peter said, man, let's just build a tent up here and stay. Man, let's just stay up here because that's, man, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. And, and, uh, uh, but then what happens is, is that the Peter, uh, Elijah and, uh, Moses disappear and, uh, Jesus is left with Peter, James, and John. They come down the mountain after this, what they call a mountaintop experience, right? When they come down, what's the first thing they run into? A demon-possessed situation. And that's what happens is we make these commitments to God. We make these renewals with God. And let me tell you, the enemy is really quick to be there to hit us. And that's what's happening with the children of Israel. Renew the covenant. These kings come together. We're going to come against you. Let's go on and let's see what the rest of the Scripture says here, beginning with verse 3. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse or a a trickery or a a wiles or deceit kind of thing. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. And the Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Asherah. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins were all filled renew, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals were worn out by the very long journey. And the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. Okay, you see the picture. 
What has happened is, is these Gibeonites, if you read on into Joshua chapter 10, it says that Gibeah was actually uh, several cities and it was a, a capital type situation and their warriors were the best of the warriors. However, their king looked at this situation and said, there is no way that we can defeat these children of Israel. So let's come up with this ruse. Let's come up with this, this false plan. What we're going to do is we're going to send you in there. We're going to make it look like you travel long distance because they knew that the, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses had given instruction that if the alien is among you to take care of them. However, he had said, God had said, the Canaanite, you're to totally wipe them out. So they're thinking, if we can fool them here, maybe they'll take us in. And that's exactly what happened. They took them in and uh, and we'll get to the, in a minute how Joshua did not seek the Lord. They just looked at him and said, okay, it's what it is. And what happened is, is they came in. They invited the enemy right into the camp. And they made a covenant with them. Let's, let's get personal here just a minute. The children of Israel, their whole thing that God gave them the land... And the land, they were, God was going to fight the battle for them. It was their land to take. All they had to do was have this victorious march through the land. But what happened is, is that they stepped aside, they didn't inquire of God, and the enemy comes right in. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we read the scriptures. We are to walk in victory. We are to have a victorious life in Christ. This is what we're called to do. It's, it's there. It's an abundance. It's Holy Spirit indwells us. The fruit of the Spirit is ours. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We are enabled by His Holy Spirit. The very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. He that's in us is greater than he that is in the world. These are all the promises we have, the peace of Christ, sons and daughters of God. These are, this is our heritage. This is our identity. This is our victorious living. But why? Are we not seeing it? Could perhaps the enemy has let us invite him right into the camp? You know, the enemy works in so many different ways. And I want to talk to you just a few minutes about, about the enemy. But the enemy, he's, he's subtle and, and so many things happen. 1973, uh, some of you will remember that there was a movie came out called The Exorcist. And The Exorcist came out, and, and I know that we're talking 1973, archaic days for, for, for many. But when that movie came out, there were certain scenes in that thing that, uh, don't, don't go watch it. Uh, but it, there were certain scenes that came out that, man, it was like satanic stuff just hit you in the face. And, and it was, it was, the movie actually came out of a writing of a guy book who took the Catholic exorcism stuff and this demon possession thing. And I mean, it was in your face and people having nightmares. And it was like, man, I don't want to have anything to do with demonic stuff. I mean, it was in their face that it happened. And man, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. That's demonic. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And, and, uh, man, it was, it was a frightful thing, but it was in your face. You know, the enemy in your face. Let's take care of it. Wind the clock forward, 2018. We look, we cut on our TV today or go see a movie or anything, and we look at how garbage has just seeped in. And how we, here we are in 2018, and we look at things and we just think, ah, oh, that's just the way it is. That's the day we live in. But I'm telling you, it's one thing to be in your face thinking, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. But it's another thing to let it, the garbage slowly seep in and we just become callous to it you see what i'm saying 
There's one thing for the enemy to stand in front of you, Goliath to stand in front of you and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. It's another thing to see these guys in worn-out clothes just saying, hey, man, we, 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 just, we just want to come be friends. And we just suck it right in. You know, there is an enemy. And, and uh, uh, I want to talk to you just a few minutes about the tactics of the enemy right here. And then I want us to apply what uh, what they did and maybe where we're at today. Here's a couple of things that I think are, are important um, uh, for us. N- number one is this. The enemy is not all-knowing. And I'm going to talk about three specific enemies here in just a minute. But the devil himself is not all-knowing, but he has studied our weaknesses. And it's not, hear me on this, okay? So many people theologically are just screwed up in thinking that you got Jesus and you got the devil and they're on the same and they're just battling each other. You know, Star Wars did a great job with the dark side and the force and they're two equals going at each other. Let me tell you something. That is not the case. There is one God and he is total in control, all authority. Even the enemy is in subjection to him. Okay? So don't be thinking it's Jesus, our big brother and Satan and they're going head to head. No, 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 no. At the cross, Jesus totally defeated the enemy. One day, he's totally going to be put away. But I'm just sharing that with you, though, that Satan has had years to study mankind. He's not all-knowing, but he knows our weaknesses. And and this subtle enemy came in, exploited one of Joshua's weaknesses, which was trusting people that he shouldn't have trusted, obviously. And uh, and this is what took place. So the enemy is not all-knowing, but he has studied our weaknesses. The second thing is this, uh, and we see it here in the scriptures as the, the enemy begins to sweet talk Joshua and the people a little bit. But the second thought is this, the enemy can sound very sincere and spiritual. The enemy can sound very sincere and spiritual. You find this today. You have certain speakers, and if they use Jesus' name or, or they say something about God, that we just suck it in. We just think, oh, they must be truly followers of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, you can sound sincere and be sincerely wrong. And that's what we find that the enemy, he loves to throw catchphrases in there. He loves to send catchphrases to you, and you buy into them. And uh, um, they claimed how great God was, and they acted humble and sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. And the enemy had slipped right in there. You've got to have a warning here. The third thing I want you to see about the enemy is this, and we see it in the Scriptures, is that the enemy is a liar and a counterfeit. He is a liar and a counterfeit. He, uh, he is the father of lies is what the scriptures tell us. And he can masquerade as an angel of light. In fact, I want to give you some scriptures that will be on the screen. And, and just some scriptures to help you as we walk through this. Because uh, we look at our lives and we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to be these things. And why are they not there? What has gone wrong? What are we missing? So let me give you some scripture. John 10.10, 10, Jesus speaking, said this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, to overflow. Let me ask you this. Are you walking in an overflow kind of Christian life, or is your life just enough to get by on a daily basis? I'll be honest. So often I'm not working from the overflow. I'm working just from a trickle. And I'm saying, God, that's not what you promised me in Scripture. So is the enemy stole these things? Perhaps. Here's, here's another thing. First um, uh, Peter 5, 8 says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
So the enemy is out to devour. He's out to mar the image of God any way that he can. Disunity, immorality, lack of love, selfishness. He, he sows this discord in there. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says this. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You know, it's usually that angel of light that gets us sucked in. It's that appealing to the flesh, those kind of things that we get sucked into. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So there is a schemes of an enemy coming against the children of God. You, you sense it. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's got a scheme. You remember uh, even Simon Peter, Jesus says that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I am praying for you. So there is a scheme that the enemy has. Let me read one more. Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The whole, who leads the whole world astray. He's deceiving. Now, if you don't think there's an enemy, he's got you right where he wants you to, to be. He has, he has lulled you to sleep. And listen, Christian, you cannot live like it's peacetime. And you don't pick a fight on Sunday thinking that it's not going to continue on Monday. We can come in here and lift our hands, praise Jesus. Lord, I'm abandoned to you. I, I, I want you to fill me with your spirit. And I want to come against the, the enemy. I want to be strong for you. And then we walk out of here thinking that the battle doesn't continue. And yes, I believe that he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. But that means that we have to appropriate that and live that out. We can't live like it's peacetime. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, 1 through 3 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, the reason I want you to see that is there's actually three enemies that you face as a follower of Jesus, okay? Number one, it says, is the world. Does that mean this globe? No. It's talking about the fallenness of this world that we live in. You see this brokenness all the time. You see this fallenness all the time. So number one enemy is just the world and its philosophy. And Paul even said, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, everything you hear on CNN and Fox and all that kind of stuff is, is probably showing you the brokenness of the world. You need to lean into the scriptures. The world, number one. Number two is the devil, the fallen angel, the one who used to be in the presence of God in his glory all the time, but got kicked out and now... He and his hordes of demons are, are bringing uh, all kinds of temptation and, and oppression and these kind of things, the attacks that are coming. The third one is the flesh. What's amazing is, is we want to give the devil so much credit when it's usually our flesh that's leading us astray. 
But this is the battle you're facing. Your battle is with the world, it's with the devil, and it's with the flesh. And this is, this doesn't, and, and Jesus knew this. He says, the thief is going to come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I don't want to discourage you today. I want to warn you, okay? Because I see the church today, and I see the world today, and I see the casualties of this war that we seem to be oblivious to. First of all, I see the destruction of individuals. Suicide rate is out of sight now. Identity issues are just blow my mind. Not just the sexual identity, but people just wondering who they are, why they exist. Tell me if that's not a casualty of a war that's taking place. Here's another one. The destruction of the family today. We don't even know what marriage is anymore. And, and, and we don't know what it is anymore to the point of where the next generation doesn't even want to get married. And so we've seen this destruction of a holy covenant that God has made. Not only that, we're seeing fatherlessness just out of sorts, man. The way the family is getting broken down because dads are just jettisoned out of there. Then we see uh, just the breakdown of, of rebellion within the home, the lack of love within the home. It's the destruction that is there. The, the third thing I'm seeing is the destruction within churches themselves. I mean, just the division and the, and the gossip and the lack of um, holiness and, and, and all of this is taking place and just the breakdown. And you see a breakdown of individuals, the home and the church. Let me tell you, the world, the, the nation is right there. And, and let, me, let me say something about all of that breakdown. It's within the very church. I, listen, I could say these things are happening in the world. They're happening right within the very church of Jesus Christ. And man, it concerns me. It breaks my heart to see the, the identity issues and the, and the depression and the struggles that come and that, and that people find no hope and then they see the family fall apart. And this is within the body of Christ. So if this is happening within the body of Christ, how much more in the world we're looking at? So what's the deal? I think a lot of it's we're living like peacetime when the enemy, we've just invited him right in. But let me give you hope today. I don't want to. Let's close in prayer right now, okay? Yeah, that would, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? You do need to get rid of me at that point. But how did God's people respond here, okay, in the scriptures I read you? Number one is it says in verse 14 that they sampled the wares of the Gibeonites and they did not consult God. Listen, we love to taste the things of the world and not consult God, and it's just taking us down. There's an addiction, addictive pattern. We just, we, it's, it can lead to disaster if we do not step up. And it's like this. Um, you know, imagine that this is a cliff here on the other side of this first step, okay? And, and people come, Grand Canyon, whatever you call it, and, uh, and that's the edge of the cliff. Well, we don't want to put a barrier up right next to it. We want to put it back so people can, can see a good view of it, but it's a protective barrier that's there. It's amazing how we've obliterated protective boundaries in our life, and we're just flirting on the edge with, with evil all the time, temptation all the time. And we just put ourselves on the edge. And this is what we tell ourselves. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle it. You know, no affair started in the bedroom. It started with flirting with the edges. Emails, phone calls, innocent lunch, 
And the next thing you know, it's happened. No, no uh, uh, husband and wife falling out of love with each other is what we call it. But it didn't start one day. It was a slow fade that happened. We get to flirting with the world and flirting with the enemy. And the next thing you know is we're sucked in. And that's what happened with Joshua here. He didn't consult God. They sampled the wares and they, and they got sucked in. Many of you, if you know some history during World War I, the German flying ace that was known as the Red Baron, he had over 80 uh, kills as far as taking down enemy planes. But yet what ended up being the destruction of the Red Baron was on April 21st, 1918, he began chasing uh, uh, an aircraft. And as he was chasing it, he chased it too far and too low. And when that happened, they got him from ground assault. They were waiting for him. They had lured him in. And I think that's what happens with the world. The enemy's just waiting to lure you in to destroy you. So number one is they flirted with the enemy. The second thing that we learned from this is they made a covenant with, this, with the Gibeonites. And we're thinking, well, a covenant, what's the big deal? They made this covenant in the name of the Lord. But here's the point I want you to make. Covenants in the Lord's name are to be honored. In fact, if we read on in the scriptures, the people got angry with Joshua and said, let's just take them out anyway. But Joshua said, we will not, we will not disperse from this covenant because we made it in the Lord's name. Here's the deal. For Joshua, the integrity of God's name was more important than anything. It was more important than them going against what God had said. We make covenants. There are certain covenants that we make in life. Marriage is one of those covenants. There's other covenants. We make, make a business covenant that we make. And, and here's the deal. I think what is so important here is that covenants we make in God's name are to be kept. And this was a very difficult one because they were disobedient in what they did. But God's name was to be honored because, listen to this, if they did not honor the covenant, they were just as bad as what the Gibeonites had done. It was deceit. It was trickery. So they kept the covenant. And the covenant was this, okay? We're going to take care of you, but here's what your role is going to be. You are to cut wood and you are to haul our water. That's what you're going to do the rest of the time. The rest of the scripture says they went and checked it out, and sure enough, that's where the Gibeonites were from. And so from that day forward, the Gibeonites would be known as people who, who cut wood for the fires and hauled water. So the covenant was going to stand. I think that's very important because some of you may be in covenants right now, and you're thinking, how do I, you're spending so much time, how do I get out of this covenant? Man, my wife's not a believer, my husband's not a believer, and I'm in this covenant. Man, does God really want me to stay in this, in this covenant? And that's a very difficult thing. I'm always one of those, if there's any abuse involved, you need to, you need to step out. You need to get in protected in that situation. Now we look at the marriage and think, okay, what do we do with this covenant? Because here's the deal about marriage. Marriage is a covenant between God and this couple. And so you're in this situation, you're thinking, my husband's not a believer. What do I, what do I do in this covenant? It's a very difficult place that I find myself in. Yeah, it's a very difficult place. But we read the scripture for the loophole and maybe they committed adultery and maybe they did this and, and, and yet the scriptures, are, you know, uh, you get to Paul in Corinthians, he finally says this. He says, 
you know, if you're in this situation, stay in it. But if they choose to step aside, they can step aside from the relationship because the covenant was so vital. Now, don't anybody walk out of here and misquote me on what I just said. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get to safety. Okay? But yet the marriage covenant is holy. Business covenants that you make, and we call them contracts maybe, but you've gotten in in a business situation and you're thinking, man, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in this thing as far as this business covenant is. You know, this guy is not not ethical maybe in some situations, and you're, you're finding yourself in that position. It's a very difficult position to do, but the integrity of the Lord needs to be kept. I, I think we need to prayerfully say, God, how do I walk through this so that your name is honored above all else? Okay? The third thing that we see that the the that I think is very important, and I want to give you hope on this, God can redeem our disobedience. God can redeem our disobedience. You know, what Joshua did, they confessed they did wrong. They confronted the Gibeonites to make sure they did wrong, and sure enough, they did. They confessed. They went before the Lord with it, and the Gibeonites were given this menial task to cut wood and to haul water. Now, that seems like a menial task, but I, please hear me on what I'm about to share with you. The cutting of the wood and the hauling of the water were for two purposes. The cutting of the wood was to take to the tabernacle so the sacrifices for the atonement of the sins of the people was constantly burning. So these Gibeonites were to cut the wood and they were to take it to the tabernacle where it would be used for the fire. The water for hauling was they would haul the water to the tabernacle and it was for the purification rites of holiness that the people needed to take. Here's what was going on. And I think this is beautiful. God is incredible. What he did is he took these Gibeonites and what the Israelites did is they immersed them in their worship of God. Every time they hauled wood, every time they hauled water, they knew it had to do with the worship of the one true God. What God did is he took the Gibeonites and he immersed them in worship of God. What's going to happen over any stretch of time? They're going to get immersed right into worshiping God along with it. We And you read about the Gibeonites. There was one other instance where Saul killed some of the Gibeonites and... Uh, it angered God at that point, and it actually cost Saul some of his family members. That's, that's huge. I don't want to go into that whole story. But we know about the Gibeonites is that they were never a problem. They were never a drain upon the children of Israel. In fact, there was a, a group of people that you will see in the Scriptures that they were called the Nethanim, or the Nethanim. It, it would be the plural of that. And they were considered... Both in the tabernacle and the temple, they were the servants of the temple. And what they would do is, is they were usually people that they would, would capture, they would put in these menial tasks of, of worship that they were involved in. Quick history, you make a care list. This kind of stuff jazzes me because I see God all over it. Is that when, when the children of Israel were taken into, um, uh, taken into Babylon, when Babylon took over, they took them into Babylon. You remember Nehemiah and Ezra, if you ever read that, it's great stuff. They rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. But when they brought back some of the people, 500 of those would have been Gibeonites who were going to come back into Israel to take care of the worship that was going to take place in the temple. 
To me, that is incredible. It shows that God, nothing is beyond God's redemption. Some of you think I've done too too bad of things. And if I go to church long enough, maybe God will accept me. No, 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 no. His favor is there for you. You're not going to do anything to take his love away from you. You're not going to do anything to add to it anymore. He loves you immensely. And he can redeem even our disobedience. And I think he's waiting for us just to come and say, God, I do abandon to you. I do lay it before you. Quick, I'm ending. Let me just ask you a question. Are you finding yourself flirting with the enemy right now? I mean, it could be just a temptation that just keeps sucking you in or you just find yourself, you haven't put up proper boundaries, you're flirting with the enemy and you know it. You 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 know you need to do something about it. Here's what I'm going to, you ready for this counsel? Do something about it. Do something about it. Confess it to God. Ask, ask God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, I need your help to, to overcome. I, I, I cannot walk in this anymore and set up the boundaries, back up. And set the boundaries. So are you flirting with the enemy? Second thing, and I want you to hear me on this. I hope it makes sense. I, because it, when it came to my mind, I hope it's clear to you. Are you being a Gibeonite with God? Now let me explain what I mean by that. The Gibeonites were walking in hypocrisy, hoping that they could get the favor of Joshua. Are you walking in hypocrisy? Oh, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to do the moral thing. But yet as far as a real living, vital relationship with God, it's not real. I'm going to do this church thing. I'm going to do this good moral thing. Maybe he'll take me in. Maybe he'll accept me. That's wrong. I'm telling you, you come by faith. You come by faith. We're not to be Gibeonites with God, hoping that we're garner his favor. Let me tell you, his favor was poured out completely in Jesus And he's just waiting for you to respond. In fact, I think, I can't get into God's mind on this, but I almost think he wants to laugh and say, are you serious? Do you think I don't know what's going on in your life? Man, we used to sing that song uh, years ago, altar song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Man, just as I am, I come. Third thing I'm going to ask you right quick is this. Are you in a covenant that's not going the way it should be going? Maybe your marriage isn't what it should be. Maybe it's a business situation it shouldn't be. You've put yourself in some kind of position. Let me, let me just say this. The integrity of the Father is huge in how you respond. I'm not saying there's not times that God gives you the grace that a covenant needs to dissolve. But I'm telling you, his integrity needs to be recognized in that. But I think it begins by coming before the Lord and just say, God, you know, that's where I keep coming back to. But God, man, God, we need you. I'll end with this because I think this is important. We're in battle, okay? We're in battle. Just wake up. If you're not aware of that, especially... Next generation, we're in battle. We join that battle together, okay? The bull moose, um, how about that for a segue? The bull moose, uh, when it comes time, the bull moose, when it comes up against another bull moose, they go to battle. And their number one weapon is what? Antlers. And they're going at it. The bull moose will go at it. 
And the moose that has the stronger antlers will be the one that will dominate. A bull moose does not get strong antlers at the time he goes into battle. The bull moose gets strong antlers back in the summer when he's eating and he's doing everything properly, whatever a bull moose does to get strong. It is in the summer that's going to make him strong for the time when he goes to battle, which may be in the winter. What I'm saying to you is this. Maybe you're not in the middle of a battle or a skirmish right at this minute. But I'm telling you what, daily we need to be in preparation for when the battle comes, whenever it's going to come. Many of you remember the old Gary Larson far side comic and the deer that had the birthmark on it that looked like a target. Said, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Listen, when you came to Christ, you got a birthmark that was a target. But let me tell you, the grace of God is sufficient. He's the victor. He fights the battle for you. He is the winner. He's the overcomer. Someday we're going to step out of here into eternity. But let me tell you, His grace is sufficient. His mercies are renewed every morning. Let's pray. Let's pray.